Hello, I'm Nadia Singh, and welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series, which aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during the pandemic by speaking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we'll be focusing on the considerations associated with administering the COVID-19 vaccine to those with prior COVID-19 infection. To discuss this are IDSA members, Dr. Rajesh Gandhi of Harvard University and Dr. Hannah El Sali of the Baylor College of Medicine. Thank you both for being with me. Dr. Gandhi, I'm going to start with a question that's on so many people's minds, and it's the most obvious one. Why should those who already had COVID-19 get the COVID-19 vaccine? To protect them from getting COVID-19 again. So we know that with seasonal coronaviruses, reinfections may occur. They typically don't occur within the first six to 12 months after the first infection, but there are data uh, suggesting that that can happen. What about with SARS-CoV-2? Thus far, reinfections have been rare, um, but they have been reported. We do think, and we'll talk about this perhaps later, that the risk is likely to be quite low for the first three to six months after the first infection. But we're in this for the long term. And so the rationale for vaccination in someone who's previously had COVID is to boost their immune responses against SARS-CoV-2 to, over the long term, reduce the likelihood of reinfection. A couple of comments here. We know that vaccine-induced antibody responses uh, are usually the same or even higher than natural infection. We think, although we need to prove this, uh, that vaccine-induced responses may last longer and be more protective than natural infection-induced immune responses. That's at least a hypothesis, and that's a, at least a, a direction that we need to, to test. And then finally, um, we are all reading about the variants, and one of the questions is, can someone who has had COVID get infected with one of the variants? There are some concerning reports of reinfection with the variants. We don't know precisely how often that is, but the hope is that a vaccine-induced immune response will protect at least against severe disease caused by variants and, and then reduce transmission, and all of that is still to be determined. Just a couple of days ago, um, this is a very rapidly evolving field, there was a, a preprint, not yet peer-reviewed, from University of Washington suggesting that people who previously had COVID, who then got a vaccination, might develop some immune responses that can neutralize variants, but time will tell on that front. But bottom line is the short answer, what I tell my patients is, even if you've had COVID, I want you to get the vaccine to protect you from getting COVID again. Excellent points and advice, Dr. Gandhi. Thanks so much. Dr. El Sali, when should individuals who have had COVID-19 be vaccinated and is there a recommended interval between infection and vaccination? A couple of things to keep in mind. The likelihood of reinfection, as Dr. Gandhi mentioned, is really low in the first few months following an initial SARS coronavirus 2 infection. There was a large study from the United Kingdom which followed highly exposed healthcare workers, some of whom were previously infected and some of whom who were not previously infected. And over the ensuing six months, there was a very low likelihood of reinfection with an adjusted incidence ratio of 0.11 between the two groups. So now we know that reinfections do happen. They ha happen rarely in the first six months. And actually, in those who ended up having those reinfection episodes, uh, they were rather um, asymptomatic. But at a minimum, we need to keep in mind that infected persons need to wait until symptoms resolve and they are out of isolation. If they have received an investigational convalescent plasma or monoclonal antibodies during their acute uh, episode of COVID-19, 
then the interval is 90 days uh, between the resolution of symptoms or the occurrence of COVID and the vaccination. Outside of these specific circumstances, vaccination should just follow the local guidance for prioritization uh, of persons at risk uh, because we do not have clear guidance or studies that have evaluated this question fully. We do know that individuals in many of the pivotal clinical trials uh, were previously infected, but the interval was not something that was evaluated. It was just found by serologic testing. I'm involved in a lot of treatment, and these monoclonal antibodies are, are definitely something that are being discussed a lot. And it might be worth expanding on that comment just to say that one of the reasons why the CDC advises us to wait 90 days after someone gets a monoclonal antibody is because these antibodies last for weeks, three to four weeks at least, in terms of their half-life, so actually much longer. The concern is that if you immunize too soon after getting a monoclonal antibody, that those monoclonal antibodies will be around and might affect the vaccine response. But I fully agree with Dr. El-Sali's comments about how long people should wait. I, I think that's very good advice. Thank you, doctors, for your insight. Dr. Gandhi, sticking with you, if someone comes down with COVID-19 after the first dose, should they then still receive the second one? You know, I would. Um, I think for the same rationale that we've been articulating, right now the vaccines in the United States, the ones that are authorized are the, the two-dose mRNA vaccines. And Dr. Asali led one of the pivotal trials of, of one of those vaccines, and I'm sure she'll talk about that. But if someone comes down between after getting their first dose with COVID, I would still suggest and urge to them that they get their, their second dose. I would, as has been said, I would wait till their acute symptoms are resolved and they're no longer infectious, they're out of isolation. I would tell them that they probably are protected for some time, but I would still like to get them that second dose because I think it will boost their immunity to prevent reinfection as we, we talked about earlier. I second the thought uh, by, from Dr. Gandhi, and I, I do want to indicate that uh, this instance of having asymptomatic infection happening between dose one and dose two did happen on these uh, clinical trials. A lot of it was discovered after the individuals uh, did receive that second dose. Uh, having said that, we do know that we need those two doses to achieve the uh, level of protection that was achieved in these trials. So it's advisable to take the full regimen um, and stick with the, the interval and the number of doses as close to the clinical trials as feasible. Thank you both for weighing in. Dr. Al-Sali, staying with you, what do we know about how much COVID-19 vaccines reduce transmission as well as how long its protection lasts? In the design of the uh, phase three clinical trials that led to the emergency use authorization, the question of transmission was not examined thoroughly. It was not a primary or a secondary or a key secondary endpoint, or in many of the trials, not even an exploratory endpoint. But we do have some findings that point in the direction that it might reduce transmission. There's a preprint uh, from the UK group that uh, evaluated the Cherox or AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, in that trial, there were different intervals between those one and those two, as little as four weeks and as long as 12 weeks. There were different doses for priming with the first dose 
and the second dose. Some got standard dose, standard dose. Some got low dose, high dose. And they did evaluate the transmission using uh, swabs that they could mail in. In one of the regimens evaluated, there was reduced asymptomatic carriage following the vaccine regimen. It was the one with the longer interval. In that trial, there was no adjustment for the number of comparisons. There were numerous comparisons made, but it was an intriguing finding. In the Moderna clinical trials, Everybody before they got their second dose had a swab taken regardless of uh, symptoms. Actually, they were pretty much all asymptomatic because they came to clinic to get their vaccine. What we found is that in 39 of the placebo groups versus 15 in the vaccine group, there was asymptomatic carriage. So that's also a reduction in the um, number of uh, persons infected asymptomatically following vaccines. And this particular carriage is what we think is um, is a driver of, of some of the uh, transmission in the community. These are not conclusive data. These are very short-term data, but they point to a direction that potentially the vaccine can reduce transmission. We cannot use those to those data to specifically potentially change guidance in terms of public health measures. And that is why the stress of continuing to use masks even after vaccination to protect others, but certainly data in the in the right direction. Another thing to keep in mind is that for most respiratory coronaviruses or the common cold viruses, protection is often against disease than infection. In the long run, it's probably uh, safe to assume that we will be protected more against disease than infection, which means that we need to uh, push for vaccinating susceptible individuals, high-risk individuals, and increase the herd immunity one way or another. IDSA and the CDC present the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network. Timely COVID-19 information curated by clinicians for clinicians. Be the first to know. Visit IDSA's COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network for the latest COVID-19 resources for the frontline healthcare community. Go to COVID19LearningNetwork.org. Another huge topic right now. Thank you, Dr. El Sali. Are COVID-19 vaccine side effects worse for those who've had prior COVID, Dr. Gandhi? So a good way to think about this is to think about categories of side effects. And so we can divide side effects into local side effects, the redness and tenderness people can get at the vaccination site, and systemic side effects, things like fatigue, headache, fevers, and chills. Now, we do know from the phase three clinical trials of the mRNA vaccines that the local and systemic side effects are fairly common after vaccination, particularly common in younger people and somewhat more common after the second dose than after the first dose. Now, a study that was put out by preprint, not yet peer-reviewed by Dr. Florian Kramer, has gotten a lot of notice. Um, And in that particular study, they looked at local side effects and systemic side effects in people who had previously had COVID. There was about 80 such people. And those who had not previously had COVID, about 150 people. And what they reported in this preprint, and we'll see after peer review, the, the final publication, is that local side effects were similar in those who previously had COVID and those who had not previously had COVID. But they did report the systemic side effects were more common in those who previously had COVID. Now, a really important point that Dr. El-Sali reminded me of 
is that particular study was open label. That is, people knew they were getting the vaccine. And a better way to, to really look at side effects is to look at blinded placebo controlled trials. And the trial that she led, which is the Moderna mRNA vaccine, was both randomized and blinded. And in that particular uh, trial, there were about 300 people in the placebo group and in the vaccine group uh, who were previously infected uh, in each of those groups. And when they looked at the incidence of local and systemic side effects, they were quite comparable in those who had previous COVID and those who did not have previous COVID. That is, when people were blinded, didn't know what they were getting, they didn't really see evidence that the, the vaccine side effects with the mRNA vaccines were worse than those who had prior COVID. Perhaps the last point to make, and I would love Dr. Al-Sali to fill in some more details about this, but in most people, um, vaccine side effects are quite temporary and short-lived. And, and that's really the message that I uh, talk to my patients about, is that um, even if you have some side effects, they're likely to be very, very short-lived. And you have the psychological benefit, and not just psychological benefit of knowing that you now you know, have been vaccinated and, and all of the good that comes with that. So on balance, I, I think that's the message I'm giving people. The side effects, when we look at it in a blinded way between those who got uh, who were previously infected versus those who were not, they were very comparable. And if anything, they were uh, slightly lower uh, in those who were previously infected. So all in all, it's not a reason or uh, there was nothing of concern that we observed there. The side effects were manageable in most of the study volunteers by using a symptomatic over-the-counter uh, PAP medication as needed. It, it may be uh, dramatic uh, after the second dose compared to the first dose, but they are short-lived. Uh, they are manageable with medications and, as needed, and they are you know, temporary. So, so nothing to change any of the recommendations uh, in those who were previously infected. Great points, doctors. Thank you. For this last question, I'd like to direct it to both of you. A recent preprint touts that those with prior infection may only need one dose of the vaccine. What are your thoughts on this? Dr. Gandhi, let's start with you. So yes, this is getting a lot of discussion. Um, and uh, obviously this is, uh, as I said before, a rapidly evolving field. Um, what we say today may change over time. And in fact, I hazard to say it will change over time. Uh, so the particular study, again, is from Dr. Florian Kramer's group. It's uh, a preprint not yet peer reviewed. But what they did, just to give some background, is they looked at antibody responses in about 110 people. 70 of those people were seronegative at the beginning. That is, they had no evidence that, they, that they'd had prior COVID. And about 40 of them were seropositive. That, that, that is, they had some reason, you know, they had serologic evidence that they um, previously had COVID. And then they did something important, is they looked at antibody responses in the seronegatives and in the seropositives. No prior COVID, prior COVID. What they found is that the antibody responses after the first vaccine dose increased more quickly and were higher in those who had evidence that they had previously had COVID. That, that is those people who started off with antibody response. And there were big differences. There was about 10 to 20 fold higher antibody responses than those who had previously had COVID. In fact, the antibody responses after one dose of vaccine in this particular preprint and those who had prior COVID was higher than the antibody response after two doses of vaccine in those people who did not have prior COVID. Now, actually, if you think about it, this is not particularly surprising. What it tells us is that this long understanding that people who've had initial infection, that can prime the immune response 
and then the vaccine essentially serves to boost it. At least that's the hypothesis. And that has led some to propose that maybe only one dose of vaccine is needed in those who have previously had COVID. And I'll tell you my take in, in just a second. There have been somewhat similar findings in a cohort of Israeli healthcare workers, uh, but a very small cohort, 17 healthcare workers who had previously had COVID, many hundreds who did not, but the same kind of general findings that the immune responses came up quickly and to a high degree after a single dose. And somewhat similar findings in a cohort in Seattle, that's the one I mentioned before, very recent, came out just in the last four or five days, a preprint, not yet peer reviewed. So let me tell you about a couple of caveats and at least why I'm not yet prepared to say that we should only be giving one dose. Compared to the tens of thousands of people who've been in phase three randomized clinical trials, these studies thus far are relatively small, you know, in the a few dozen to a few hundred or low hundreds, not tens of thousands uh, as have been in the phase three trials. The other point, and this is an important one, is people who have prior COVID are not all the same they can have variable immune responses. And that may in part relate to their severity of disease as well as how long it's been since their infection. And so in my mind, it's not yet known if all people with prior COVID will have adequate immune responses to just one dose of vaccine. Again, we're talking about the mRNA vaccines here. And it's at least possible that those who start out with lower immune responses after having mild COVID will have less boosting. Another really critical point is we don't know how long antibody responses will last after one dose. And then I think this is the most important point. We're not sure about the quality and the breadth of the immune response after one dose. Will those antibodies that, that are being seen after one dose be fully neutralizing? What's gonna go on with the other arms of the immune response like T cells? And will those immune responses after one dose prevent infection? The bottom line is at least as of now, February 17th, 2021, we don't yet know the correlates of protection. Unlike in hepatitis B, in hepatitis B, we're confident that an antibody titer of greater than 10 is protective, but we don't have that kind of correlate for uh, SARS-CoV-2. So my take, and I, again, would love to hear Dr. Al-Sali's perspective, but my take is we should use vaccines right now as authorized by the FDA, even in those with prior COVID. So for the mRNA vaccines, two doses. I think the focus has to be on increasing vaccine supplies, accelerating delivery and administration. And so really, that people are not being denied vaccines based on supplies or delivery or administration. Now, in a person who has had COVID, if they want to wait a few months before vaccination, I think that's quite reasonable. Um, the healthcare worker data that Dr. Al-Sali pointed out before, the experience, people are unlikely to get COVID again within the first you know, six months or so after they've had COVID. But conversely, if they prefer, it's also fine to immunize them as soon as they're recovered from their infection and to get that two-dose vaccination, as has been said, never miss an opportunity to vaccinate. I would like to emphasize that in the uh, preprint by Dr. Kramer, what they measured is binding antibodies after one dose and two doses of vaccines in, in the study population, but not the functional antibodies. They did not measure the neutralizing antibodies. These are sort of the most critical antibody splicers to measure. They do tend to correlate binding and neutralizing, but nonetheless, uh, these are the functional antibodies that are thought to neutralize the virus and provide, uh, at least in the animal model, uh, the, the protection. We do not know in humans what is the correlate of protection. 
This remains under intense scrutiny from the uh, clinical trials that are underway right now. But until we have an answer and this correlate of protection is further validated, just having a cutoff may not be enough. It needs further validation. We need to follow the regimen that has provided the protection in the clinical trials leading up to the authorization. And that is giving two doses of vaccination uh, for everyone who needs protection or who wishes to be protected uh, from COVID-19 to sort of decrease the scale of the epidemic uh, in our country and beyond. We are learning more, not by the month, not by the week, but by the day uh, about this uh, particular uh, question. And I think when we have a correlative protection in hand and when we are able to rigorously assess whether people who've had COVID will achieve that after one dose, I think then we'll be in a place where we can be confident. And so I, I don't doubt that this will change over the months of this pandemic, but that I think I think we're in agreement on our recommendation for today. We do know that there's a soon-to-be reviewed one-dose vaccine candidate, and, and so we'll see where that takes us. But obviously, the more vaccines we have, uh, the better. At this time, I'd like to thank Drs. El Sali and Gandhi for their time, participation, and expertise. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, visit IDSA's real-time learning network, covid19learningnetwork.org. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on this rapidly evolving pandemic. The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast. I'm Nadia Singh.